Let's pray together. God, we come together and uh, sit at your feet. And God, I pray that we will hear your words. That we will come to this time with a great sense of expectation that you will be speaking to us. A great sense of expectation that, that there is something for us this morning. And so, God, I pray that you will give us ears to hear you. And that the things that are distracting us and the things that are discouraging us and the things that are hurting us, uh, those will be set aside for these few moments as we spend time in your word. God, we need you and we need your voice. Speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, almost all jobs come with some sort of difficulty. There's a part of that job that you just really dread doing. You really dislike having to get through that piece of your job. It could be the reports that have to be filed. It could be the amount of hours that have to be worked. It may be the, the unreasonable customers that you have. Um, it may be uh, the weird hours that you are called upon. There are a variety of reasons why a job could be a little less than ideal, but, but oftentimes there is something that holds us on to that job. Regardless of the long hours, regardless of, of the work that we have to take home with us, re regardless of, of that constant effort where we seem like we never get ahead, there's something that holds us into that job. It could be the salary, it could be the benefits package, it could be a love or a calling for the, for the job itself or the, the people that you're serving and interacting with. It, it could be the, the job itself or it could just be that it is a job and you're grateful for that. There's something holding you onto it. Sometimes there are jobs that come with certain perks that added on top of the benefit package and the salary package, there are these, these perks that help keep you motivated, keep you encouraged, keep you to stick around with the company. Uh, some of these are just built into the jobs naturally, but there are, are some startup organizations, startup corporations that, that actually build this into how they treat their employees. And so Fast Company uh, did a report in 2016 where they listed out some of these startup companies and the interesting perks that came along with the jobs. Here's, here's a few of them. One, uh, Facebook. At Facebook, an employee can, can learn how to do silkscreen or take a hand lettering or drawing class. Uh, most of us call that elementary school, right? But, uh, um, but they, they, have, they have this opportunity to learn how to write. Um, and so this is a perk. You get to do something outside of your normal activity. A company called Canva, they, they say that uh, they have uh, celebrations where they release doves and smash Greek plates. I guess that's a perk of a job. A company called Clue. Um, everyone has access to private sessions from professional therapists every week. And so they provide counseling and therapy. Some of you are like, where can I sign up for that job? Um, a company called Whipsaw offer, offers massages uh, every Friday to all of their employees. Um, a company called uh, Global Citizen Year, uh, every two years of work allows them uh, an all-expense 
paid trip outside of the country. So they get, they get a paid vacation every two years. There's some hints built into this for the elders. Um, and then after three years, <laughs> joking, joking, kind of. Um, after three years, you can take a full month off to do whatever makes you happy while still receiving a paycheck. So, you know, sign up for that company, right? Um, Another uh, perk allows for um, a place where you can have an office. There's an office for those rough days where you can go into this room that is uh, soundproof with padded walls. So remodel plan for our office right there, Uh, the the soundproof padded room. So whatever these office perks are, the things that kind of keep you going, the ke- things that keep you motivated, they, they come in and help you to, to be productive. When it gets tough, when the job gets overwhelming, there are perks that help sustain us. Uh, you may not have ones as, as creative as this, but there are things in your job that really help sustain you, a perk of why you do what you do. And so we're getting into Psalm 86 today, as we, as we read through earlier, and, and we're looking at this psalm. It's written by someone who's in a pretty bad place. The job is not going well. Things are pretty miserable. They start out with, hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Now, poor and needy here is not talking about a, a financial poverty, but a, a, I need help and I need it bad. Something is not right. The message translates it this way. It says, bend an ear, God. Bend an ear. Answer me. I'm one miserable wretch. So the idea of bending an ear is like you're straining to kind of listen to what's going on. So bend your ear to me, God. Listen, because I am a miserable wretch. This psalmist is going through some junk. Things are not going well. Bend your ear to me. Listen to me. Talk about a cry out for help, right? This desperation. I am one miserable wretch. Hear me. Answer me. Help me. I'm depending on you, God, to act in this. And so Psalm 86 is giving us this prayer for people who are experiencing this devastating time. They're, they're, experiencing the, 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 they're experiencing exile, they're experiencing persecution, they're experiencing trial. And these are people who have gone through cycles of obedience, cycles of disobedience, repentance and forgiveness. They've gone through these cycles and they're asking God for help. But what is most striking about this psalm is how little it talks about what we're supposed to do when we find ourselves in a situation where we are a miserable wretch. The psalmist says only two things about what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to pray and we're supposed to praise. We pray and we praise. Those are the only two things that the psalmist talks about us doing when we find ourselves in these difficult situations. The psalm spends much more time talking about the character of God and who he is. It it highlights his character and his name and his attributes. Who is God? He's the one we're asking for help. And he's the one who has something to do because all we can do is pray and all we can do is praise. 
And so we find ourselves in this season where we have been going through 1 Peter and we've been talking a lot about what it means to be a Christian in a world that is hostile towards the Christian faith. And we have been spending a lot of time over the last couple months talking about what we need to do in those environments. And yes, there are things that we need to do, but if we look at this psalm here, it says really the most important things, the only things you really have any kind of control over in these kind of circumstances, is to pray and to praise. We pray and we praise. And so we look through this psalm, and the first seven verses really give us these petitions, asking God for help, asking God for what is needed. I need help. I need it badly. And so the psalmist gives us verse after verse these are the things that we're asking of God. But the writer isn't so much focused on their own need for help as much as who God is, that even in the midst of defining what our problems are and what we need, there's so much more that's said about who God is and his identity and the truth of who he is. And so we look at this psalmist and we see their life being totally wrapped up in the identity of God, that who God is is defining their situation, that, that their life is secure, their future is secure because of who God is. And so in these petitions, through these first seven verses, we, we see that God is merciful, we see that God is good, we see that God is forgiving and he is loving, and God is the source of life. And this is what is laid out for us. And then in verse 8, it shifts into a praise of God. Here is a one miserable wretch, and what do they do? They praise God. And we see these beautiful descriptions in verse, 14, or verse 8 through 13 about praising God and who God is. And then in verse 14, the language shifts over to expressing a desire for God to provide, that, that in the midst of that prayer, in the midst of of that praise we ask God to provide. And that, the, the prayer is for God's help. But there is a willingness to be patient, a willingness to wait on God, that, that God is sovereign and his love will be revealed. We will see his love. It's in this section that we, we see one of the most significant and frequently used descriptions of God. In, in Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. We see who God is, that he's compassionate and gracious. Walter Brueggemann uh, describes this psalm in this way. He says, In the midst of the darkness... In the season of disorientation, Yahweh is affirmed, known to be the one who abides, who is not intimidated or alienated by the disorientation. God is not intimidated. He's not alienated. This, these claims of Yahweh are still credible in the darkness, perhaps especially credible in the darkness. 
And so we've been spending a lot of time talking about the darkness, talking about the disorientation that we experience in a world that is hostile toward our faith and how do we behave. And so we are called to be obedient. We're called to be servants. We're called to pray. We're called to offer hospitality. We're called to love others. We're called to serve. We're called to evangelize. Yes, there are actions that we need to be taking. But in all of that... We see here in this psalm a reminder of who God is in all of that. That regardless of the actions that we do or do not take in this environment, who is God? And who are we as servants of God? We're promised that if we we do these things, if we take up the cross of discipleship, then we will experience persecution. We will experience these struggles, but who is God in all of that? Being a faithful servant of God can be difficult. It will be difficult. It will require sacrifice. And and there are times that we need to call out to God and say, I'm a miserable wretch. I need your help. I need your help. And so God answers us when he calls and so for the sake of the conversation this morning, let's, let's talk it, about it in, in context of perks of being a Christian, perks of being a servant, that jobs have these perks that keep us going and help sustain us. And as servants of Jesus, there are perks that go along with that as well. And so our motivation for obedience that we've been talking about over the last several months is is not out of guilt, it's not out of, of shame, it's not out of obligation. Who we are as servants of God come out of the identity of God, of who He is, the truth of who He is. And so what are the perks? What do we see about God? And so the first one that we see going through this psalm is is the idea of steadfast love. Steadfast love. That's not something that we earn. That's not something that we work for. That God's love is there for us regardless. In verse 5 it says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Abounding in love. Other versions say abounding in steadfast love. It's an ongoing love. And so this is an amazing gift to us, this sense of steadfast love. It's a gift that we can only experience from God. And so, of course, the word love can can come to mean a lot of different things, and so it's hard for us to really remember what it is that God is doing when he says he loves us. There was one person who said, I love everybody. Some I love to be around, some I love to avoid, and others I would love to punch in the face. (laughs) There's lots of ways to love someone, right? But the steadfast love of God is given to us. It's consistent, it's firm, it's unwavering, it's not a I love to punch you in the face kind of love. And so God loves us. And so we can spend so much time talking about all the other 
things of discipleship and all of the things that we are called into and, and the things that are challenges and we, we forget to see the love of God, that that is the, the, the motivating factor for everything that we do, that God loves us. And Romans re- reminds us that, that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from that love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the perk of being a servant of God is this steadfast love. Another one is strength. In verse 16 it says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Show me your strength in behalf of your servants. Or or another way to interpret that is give your strength to your servant. Give your strength, God, to your servant. That, That as his servants, we are given his strength. That's a pretty incredible gift. To think about how strong God is, and he gives us this promise that we can have this strength as well. Elizabeth Foss was a mother of, of five, and she was reflecting on her 20s and 30s and could only remember fatigue. <laughs> Can you relate to that? Yes. She said, for nearly 12 years now, I have been sleep-deprived. When I am tired, I can be cranky and impatient. When my second child was about six months old, it dawned on me that I wasn't going to sleep like a normal person for a very long time. (laughs) If I wanted to be at all happy, I needed a coping strategy. And so what strategy did she come up with? She said that uh, she needed to be honest and prayerful. She says, now when I have a bad night, the first thing I do in the morning is acknowledge that it was a bad night. I tell God that I'm grateful that I was able to be there to meet the needs of my children the previous night. I tell him that there is no way I will make it through the day under my own strength. I ask him to help me. And so she asked for for God's strength to be able to endure her day. You may not have five children that are keeping you up all night, but you have something that's keeping you restless, keeping you tired, keeping you worn out. We pray for God's strength to rest on us. A third perk of the job is answered prayer answered prayer. It says when, in verse 7, when I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. We call to God, not because we just want somebody to call out to, but we call to him in the faith and the hope that he will answer, knowing that he can answer. And so we call out to God, knowing that he answers prayers. A theologian, Sarah Coakley, said that she feels incompetence in her prayers. She says this about when she prays. Things do start to happen. One is being transformed. One's whole life is being drawn like a magnetized set of 
iron filings in a unified direction. So the bits of oneself that one thought were completely unconnected suddenly become vibrantly connected. You remember playing with magnets in science class where you had the little, the little filings of, of metal and you move that magnet around and all of those little bits come and, and, and to, to the magnet and they all start pointing in the same direction. And that's what prayer does. It brings all the different parts of our life into one direction toward God. And it provides these connections. God answers our prayers by, by making these connections for us. He, he connects us to himself. He, he connects us to one another. And we realize that, that we are, are seeing things in a new way. Coakley says that we, we are seeing and knowing and responding to the world in ways that we didn't before. And so the prayers may not be answered in such a way that you expected them to be answered, but you will find that they are being answered because they are, are turning you into a direction that aligns you with God in ways that you didn't see before. A fourth perk of the job is receiving the truth. The truth. It says in verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Walk in your truth, or, or also interpreted faithfulness. Walk in your truth. That we are given this truth that completely redefines how we live, what our priorities are, What's going on in our lives? In Central America, there are churches and missionaries who are trying desperately to help uh, with the violent gangs there. And so churches are playing a key role in this by, by helping to convert people. There are, there's a surprisingly high respect for Christians or the Christian faith by gang members. Philip Jenkins uh, wrote this about it. He said, Normally there is no exit for a gang member short of death. And the only grudging expectation to this morgue rule is when an individual claims a religious conversion. A religious conversion is a way out of this gang life. And so churches are trying to teach the truth about Christianity. And it's in the process of changing lives and changing families Jenkins says that after that, that, that they offer gang members a set of unconditional loyalties and beliefs comparable to what they had known before, a new world of unquestioning brotherhood, that the truth of the Christian faith becomes the new family for them. And there's authentic conversion that is happening, and it's literally a matter of life or death. And so we see these gang members being transformed and changed by the truth of Jesus. And so God gives us this gift of truth. The way, the truth, the life. That is where life is found. And then the last thing he gives us 
we see in verse 17, we see help and comfort. He provides help and comfort for you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And so when I hear the words help and comfort, I immediately go back to John chapter 14, where Jesus promises a helper, an advocate, a comforter, that we are given help and comfort. And Jesus says that we are given that through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are given a helper. We are given a comforter. He draws alongside of us, and the Spirit helps us, walks beside us, journeys with us through life. And so when we cry out, I am poor and needy, I am a miserable wretch, I am in need of your help, he says, I'm right there next to you. I am on this journey with you. I am helping you and I am comforting you. I'm there with you. He gives us this. And it's not just designed to to make the stress and the strain of servanthood more bearable. It's the very nature of God that is, is shown to us. It is His power. It is His presence that is dwelling within us. Jesus says, this is the spirit of truth. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And so regardless of the path that we find ourselves on as servants of of Jesus, we are given this help. We are given this comfort. And so these are God's perks for us. That as we find ourselves in places that are less than ideal, as we find ourselves in places of persecution, in places of trial, in places of hurt, that we can look at who God is and take great comfort in who he is. That regardless of our actions, regardless of how much we have screwed up, regardless of how much we have missed the mark in what he has called us to do, God is who he says he is. God gives us these incredible things. He blesses us in mighty, mighty ways. He loves us no matter what. He gives us strength. He answers our prayers. He gives us the truth. He provides us help. He provides us comfort. And those are the promises we read through in Psalm 86. And so it doesn't really matter what the compensation package is. It doesn't matter what the benefit package is. These are the things that are available to all of us. And these are the things that we hold on to. And as we think about the perks that we receive from God, these are a very, very big line item in his personnel budget. Because these are very costly perks for him to give us. They come at a great, great cost. And he's willing to spend that for you. He gives us Jesus. 
He's willing to give his own son to pay for these perks, to show us this love, to give us this help, to answer these prayers. These are costly perks that we're given. It's the blood of Jesus given to us. So let's stand again. And I want to read through Psalm 86 one more time. All we have to do is pray and praise. This is who God is. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great, and you do marvelous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. You have no, they have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer now. A time for us to respond to what God is saying. That, that we, we listen. God, what are you saying to me? What is he speaking to you in this? What encouragement is there? What challenge is there? What conviction is there as you, you hear these words? And then what are you going to do about it? How are you going to be faithful to what he has called you to? And sometimes that is just praying and praising. And so we'll have shepherds down front. You can come down and pray with one of us. I want to encourage you to use this time to, to get up and move around and, and leave your seat and find
somebody to pray with. If you want to just come and and kneel in front of the cross and pray there, if you want to uh, get together with your family or your life group or friends, gather together and spend some time in prayer celebrating who God is or crying out to him because we are so poor and needy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for giving us truth. We thank you for giving us strength. We thank you for helping us. We thank you for comforting us. God, we need your mercy. We need your strength. And so, God, help us. We're in desperate need of you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. A benefit to us that comes at the greatest of costs. It's in his name we pray, amen.